0: Hey, it's David Creek. I want to thank you for listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. Check Goodbye. us out at WestchesterCFC.com. WestchesterCFC.com. And now, let's Let get, get, get to it. Soon. Another year is quickly coming to a close. And equally as hard to believe, we have spent a year in the Sermon on the Mount. We began this in January. Now along with this year, as as our year draws to a close, we begin seeing how late into chapter 7 we also see the Sermon on the Mount coming to a close. What is interesting about our text this morning is that Jesus once again has a warning for us. That as we saw in our last message a few weeks ago, this is a very narrow road. But Jesus has been mentioning a couple of beware signs that, that are there along the way, much like we see in traffic sometimes. He says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness so that you can be seen and celebrated by other people. And now in chapter 7, starting in verse 15, Jesus once again has yet another beware for us. Where he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Then he says in verse 16, that you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus then asks a question, and he says, Are grapes gathered from, from a thorn bush, or figs from, from a thistle? And so, therefore, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruits. He says, A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruits. And so, therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruits, is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then Jesus says, at last, thus you will recognize them by their their fruits. And every now and then we might hear something about a false prophet, or or about a false teacher, as our terminology is. But as we begin, I think it's good for us to identify what, what a false prophet is not. I've heard all kinds of accusations before levied against people unfairly. Like like if it's just because you don't like a certain person who is a teacher, you don't like his accent, you don't like how short he is, how tall he is, how old he is, how young he is, that does not make him a false teacher. If it is a person who is a minister and they teach in a very colorful, very creative way, that does not automatically make them a false prophet. I was accused of that many years ago at a church where it was on a Christmas morning, and at one juncture in that sermon I had said, I spoke about Jesus being, being born. And I referred to that as Christmas morning, as Jesus comes into the world. What I meant was we were in celebration of his birth, but there was one very prominent man in that church, though, who accused me in front of half of the church as, as everybody left at the back door, of being a false prophet because I said Merry Christmas and Christmas morning in that message. And that's a pagan holiday, David. You shouldn't teach strange things to the church. So, so I'm a false prophet because of that, I guess. That's not what a false teacher is. If it's a person who is teaching and they get a minor fact wrong in their sermon, such as, for example, I don't know, Lazarus had been dead three days instead of four days. That's, that's a minor mistake. That does not make that minister a false prophet. It just makes him a human being who who made a very trivial mistake. And yet, having said that, though, what is a false prophet then? What is a false teacher? Well, as we look in our text this morning, Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. And what we know about Hebrew culture early on is that what a prophet was originally was who would speak about something that had yet to happen in the future. It says, When a prophet speaks, then in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken through them. And the prophet has spoken it in a presumptuous manner. And you need not be be afraid of them anymore. That has exposed him of, of ever having come from God in the first place. And what Moses says is, don't listen to a word that they, they have to say after that, because they are a false prophet. But mainly as Jesus speaks in Matthew chapter 7, what, what he's referring to especially are at least a couple of things. One is to a Messiah imposter. Later on, what we find Jesus say in Matthew chapter 24 is, as he speaks to his apostles, he says, very soon, you're going to hear every now and then all, all kinds of people speaking in a commotion saying that that we just saw Christ. He is out in the marketplace. He is out in the wilderness somewhere. And Jesus says, don't listen to a word that they're saying about that, because many false Christ and many false messiahs are are very soon going to, to claim that they are me pretty much. And sure enough in the book of Acts what we find is just exactly that, where there is a man who is referenced in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, who who was claiming that, that he was the Messiah? 400 people were just convinced that, that no, this is the Messiah right here. And yet, as Gamaliel says, though, he, he had been killed and it was overthrown very quickly. And then it was exposed that, that he was not having come from, from God either. And yet, I believe that, that predominantly what Jesus is speaking about here is he says, beware of false prophets. I believe Jesus is looking much much far ahead into the Christian age. Because on this side of the cross, now what a prophet is, is a person who just merely is a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. And so the next thing that you knew, all of a sudden, all of these men claiming to be scholars started springing up in churches left and right. Just like weeds after a rainstorm. And they began mimicking Paul and Peter and John and, and all the other apostles. And they would go to, especially churches that were very young in their faith. And they would establish a relationship with them and say, Hey, could we come and speak here for, for the next few few weeks or for the next few months? Well, of course, come on in. And when they actually taught churches, it, it had an, a little bit of truth in it. But very clearly, as we find in Scripture, it is a perversion of the true gospel of Christ. As we read in the book of Jude, handed down one time for all people. And so what the problem was, they would combine truth with their own ideas and opinions. Saying, you know what, Jesus was just okay, but, but Jesus was, was not actually God's son what they're trying to, to accomplish in these early churches is they're trying to, to create confusion in those churches and to eradicate Christianity from within so that as many people as they possibly can might, might just leave Jesus altogether. See, this was such a problem that in the early history of the church, nearly every single letter that we find all have all, all kinds of warnings against false prophets and false teachers. In fact, two of those books are, are exclusively about exactly what Jesus is speaking about. In Galatians as well as in the book of Hebrews. And yet we just have all kinds of warnings left and right in the book of Acts. As Paul is on his way out of Ephesus. He, he is having a meeting with, with all of the elders there. And notice how he says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing God's flock. And notice also how he says how from among your own selves, men are going to, to start arising, speaking things which are, are perverse and twisted, in order to draw away God's disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert. Or as we also read another place, but it says, False prophets arose among the people, Just as there will be false teachers among you yourselves, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even in denial that the master brought them, bringing upon themselves a swift and utter destruction. So clearly what we find is that this was a a major threat which was springing up in, in, in almost every single first century church. And yet what about now? Is our false teachers and false prophets a threat to us in the church of today? I mean, how often are we aware that at any moment we might have a false prophet walk through those doors here this morning? It just seems like it's not exactly as prevalent as a thought in our minds in the world of today. But if we really, really, really look extremely closely, though, we will take notice of the fact that there are more people claiming that they speak on behalf of God now than there ever have been before in the history of this world. I mean, everybody and their Aunt Edna is claiming to be an ordained minister now. I've heard all kinds of people say, well, if you can't hack it as a lawyer or as an insurance salesman, we'll just go into the ministry and be a minister. And I would strongly encourage anybody not to go into the ministry if it's for those reasons. Because this is a blood sport. trust me. And here's what the problem is though. Is that John chapter 17, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he's praying. And he wants everybody who is, is one day who will believe in him to be one church. One body, one mind, one voice, one heart. But, but last time I'd researched it, in America alone, there were more than 40,000 different kinds and forms of Christianity. In this country alone, 40,000 different kinds of denominations. I mean, we are living in this culture where we see it in commerce all the time, where we see one commercial, drink Pepsi, Coke is the worst. Then we see the very next ad, Coke is the best, Pepsi's the worst. Then on the very next ad, drink RC Cola. No, drink vitamin water. It's all bad for you. Just drink vitamin water. And it's like everybody has a competing voice, it seems like. It's something that we find in politics, especially in these attack ads. Vote for me, he's the devil. No, vote for me, she's the devil. And then we have another party who has no shot of winning. Everybody's the devil except for me. Vote for me over here. And it's just like sometimes you just don't know who's telling the truth, if anybody is telling the truth. So many competing voices out there in politics as well. But I think the thing is, though, is that this has also come into the church, though. This has come into our nation a long time ago where come to my church. We are a loving church. No, come to my church. We are a loving church, but we also have a 25-piece orchestra. No, no, no. Come to my church. We have a 50-piece orchestra, a coffee shop, a bakery. You know, we've got this, and we've got that, and we've got that. and, and, And again, what we find are all of these competing voices. Yes, this is a narrow road, but we have signs everywhere that we look, and it can be so confusing sometimes if we're not careful. But the truth is this way. No, no, it's not. It's over here. Truth is over here. It's over there. It's over here. It's over there. It's over there. It's over here. It's over here. It's over there. It's here. It's there. It's there. It's here. It's there. It's there. It's there. And it, so often it just feels like there are there are forty thousand different preachers shouting at us all at once every single day, and all forty thousand of those voices all claim to be the source of truth. And what I hear Jesus saying to us this morning is, be careful where you get your news. And that's because most of those voices are not speaking what is true. And here's the thing though. What is so special about our text this morning is Jesus is is explaining to us, here is how you can spot false prophets, false teachers. Notice how in the text, how it's so important Jesus says it twice. Where he says that you will recognize them by what? By their fruits. Or in other words, you will will know that it's a false prophet by their characteristics. Or by their conduct. As Jesus starts, he says that they come to you in sheep's clothing. And they look so gentle. Ah, right? (laughs) you just want to cuddle up next to this thing. And they just look so innocent at first, so so harmless, and man, do they look the part. It's an absolute blast listening to them. And yet what Jesus is saying, though, is if it is, in fact, a false teacher, when we listen very, very closely to what they're actually saying, when we look very closely at their lifestyle, at their conduct, at their personality, what they're doing in their life, we will see that if it is in fact a false teacher, their, their true colors will eventually be exposed in the light. And eventually we will listen to them teach, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, this is not not a harmless sheep, this is a ravenous wolf, as Jesus says. I mean, what, what is a wolf? A wolf is a predator. A wolf likes to get as close as it can, just just inch closer and closer and closer over to where all of the sheep are. And if a wolf is able to get just close enough to the sheep, it's going to devour everything within its sight. Jesus says, be careful of this. As they teach at first, they, they look like smiling dolphins. And yet, as you move closer to them, wait a minute, this is not a smiling dolphin. This, this is a bloodthirsty shark. And a very delicious looking plate of food. And yet, as you look at it closely though, it's laced with rat poison. Cyanide. This is exactly what Jesus says about the, the nature of Satan, by the way. As the Apostle Paul says, no wonder even Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. But what is Satan, brothers and sisters? Is is Satan an angel of light? As Peter says, he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. His intentions for our life are not ever to, to ever bless us, or to help us, or to heal us. But rather, as Jesus says in John chapter 10, his intentions always are to steal, kill, And to destroy the life that we have within us. And this is exactly what what a false prophet is going to to want to accomplish in our lives. Where what we find in the Garden of Eden is that it looks so nice. It's going to feel so good if you have this fruit. But wait a minute. (laughs) It brings forth death. Where what Satan said to Adam and Eve, as well as what many false prophets say to us is that it's got just enough truth in it to make it plausible to our ears. Yet it also has just enough venom in it to be lethal to us in a spiritual connotation. And there are many, many, many different types of false prophets in the world today. I think about one who is a charlatan, right? It's people who who make it look like they actually care about Everybody in the church. And they use all of the right religious phraseology, but soon it becomes very clear, though, that they have an ulterior motive. And all that they really want to do, they they are using Jesus Christ and the Scriptures in order to amass as much fame, recognition, and prosperity as they possibly can. It's a very prevalent form of false teacher in the world, but, but there's others. I think about one who I would call the oracle. And this one is extremely easy in spotting because what the oracle does is they they claim that God has given me special revelation that you cannot find anywhere in the scriptures. And I mean, entire religions have started by by this kind of stuff right here. I think about how in 1830, Joseph Smith claimed that, that he was out out somewhere in a field, and an angel visited him. And this this angel has all of these golden plates for him. And, oh, it just so happens to be a completely different gospel than what we find in Scripture. And it's interesting how the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that, that even if we ourselves, the apostles, even if an angel from heaven were to appear to you and give you a different gospel from what we already gave to you long ago, don't listen to him. Don't listen to a word that he's saying because he is accursed. And it's so important that that he repeats himself in verse 9, says it again, if anybody gives you a different gospel from what we gave to you, do not listen to a word that they're saying because he is accursed. And yet I've also encountered another kind where it is a divider, where every time that they have an opportunity to be a teacher in the church, all that they're really trying to do is to get everybody against each other. All that they ever want to to ever teach are are all, all of these controversial matters. What they are trying to accomplish is to create division in the Lord's church, where they treat God's word as if it were a debater's handbook. And here's what we find in Scripture where it says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that all that they produce is quarreling and division so often. I'm 36 years old, but but I have lost count of the number of churches I've seen in my short life that have been completely splintered and divided because of foolish and stupid arguments. Paul says, don't waste any of your time with that kind of teaching. And yet there is another that we see all the time on the news, and that is um, a predator false teacher. Oftentimes it is a man who ascends into lofty um, places in the church. And they develop a rapport, especially with, with children and with women a lot of times. And, and the closer that they move in into this person's life, and once that other person lets down their guard, this is when we hear all the time horrible stories about clergymen abusing people in the church and in all kinds of nightmarish ways. I think also about kind of false teacher who I call the yes man. Where every time that you see them, it's like they just got out of a Botox operation and they just have this permanent fake smile on their faces. Everything is just so perfect in the world and the whole world is a musical and everything is just so perfect and happy all the time. And as they teach, all that they ever speak about is, I mean, how long of a standing ovation will this message get me? How loud is the, the, the applause going to be? How many sales on my book are there going to be if I teach this? But they always omit all of those those other areas in scripture that, that aren't going to make them quite as popular. Anybody who is like this as a teacher, that is not a true gospel preacher. That is a religious motivational speaker. I think lastly about another kind who is a speculator. And we encounter these a lot of the times when where we know immediately, I mean, they are just obsessed with, with end-time stuff. All they ever want to talk about, they they never actually want to talk about the Christian life or about Jesus or about, you know, all all of his fruits of the Spirit, But but all they want to do is just speculate about when the end of the world is going to be. It's going to be next week, it's going to be three years from now, it's going to be then, it's going to be there, but... Here's what we find in Scripture where it says, I want you to instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths or to endless genealogies, notice, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the the administration of God, which is by faith. Use all of that energy on what actually will happen, he says, on what we know absolutely certain as we read it in the Word of God. And I would say that a classic example of this is a man whose name is Benny Hinn. As I'm a televangelist, he's become very wealthy, very illustrious in the world because he claims that he has the apostolic gift of healing. And so I put this to the test one night. It was five years ago this week. And just for pure spectacle, I went to his crusade in Florida. And he called all of those up to the front who were ministers in the room. So I go up. But the problem is he's whacking everybody on their heads and they're all squirming on the floor as if they were fish. And I don't come from that movement. I'm trying to be respectful. I don't know what to do. I'm just kind of standing there with him. (laughs) And he asked me, are you a minister? And this was a time in my life, though, where my speech impediment was its absolute worst. I couldn't say three words without twitching and stammering um, then, then until I was mute. And so he notices this, and he confuses me as a drug addict who had wandered in and out the street or something. That's because he kicked me out of his crusade. Got kicked out of a Benny Hinn crusade. But I want you to watch this again in a moment, though. Only this time, I want us to pay very close attention to minor details here. Listen for the very eerie, ethereal music that that he's blasting on the loudspeakers as, as he claims to be healing people. Listen for his staff members who are wailing dramatically on microphones as all of this happens and maybe you will notice that actually this is a form of religious hypnosis i find it interesting how when he noticed that that i was one of the only ones who was not being carried away in that emotional vortex That he got me out of there very, very, very quickly. Very, very, very quickly. And I believe more than anything what Jesus is saying to us in this text is, when it comes to anybody who stands before you as a teacher, don't pay as much attention to how popular or how entertaining they might be as a speaker or as a personality. Ask yourself, is this the gospel of Jesus Christ? just as the apostles had proclaimed it 2,000 years ago. And that's because when we fall prey to a false prophet or to false teaching, we know that the result is catastrophic. In the Jehovah Witness movement, they had made many claims that the end of the world was going to come. Every one of them had been false. But one of the most interesting ones, I mean, really by, by and far, was in 1925 where members of the Watchtower were just convinced that in 1925, Moses, King David, and, and then um, I believe it was Abraham were all going to come back from the dead and move to San Diego, California and live in this mansion. They actually, I mean, people actually were absolutely convinced that, that it was going to happen. But about 23 years later, after none of them showed up, the um, house quietly had gone up for for a sale. But people actually believe this stuff. In the Mormon faith, what what we find in the early history of it, at least in the origins, um, is a claim by Joseph Smith that, that there were people living on the moon who were dressed as Quakers who would live up to a thousand years at a time. And again, people actually believe this is true. We had a deacon at a church I was once at, and he started getting his, his religious news off of YouTube. And he got all mixed up in this group that, that is, is um, a charismatic group. And soon he began hijacking our, our assemblies with these 20-minute tangents about how if anybody in the church has any kind of infirmity whatsoever, then you're not really a Christian that the only people who are Christians have a full bill of health, perfect health. And then the next thing I knew after that, he, is, he has a class one Wednesday night, and he teaches for over two hours. And one of the things that he says is that 42 days from now, you're going to look in, up in the sky, and there's going to be a blood-red moon up there. And once that, that happens in 42 days, we all have a month, to then move to Jerusalem and wait for the end of the world. And more than five years after the fact, that prophecy was just, just as outlandish as, as this or as that. And yet the grand tragedy is, we, we actually had many, many people who were, who were um, there as um, a visitor, who came to hear the good news about Jesus, but instead what they got was something like, like this, just crazy off-the-wall kind of stuff. And it's scary what the effect can be many times if, if we do not make Jesus our number one source of truth. He was by far the most influential speaker who ever lived. He was actually also one of the most of destructive of voices. I've read many historians who say that, that Adolf Hitler would, would actually practice his speeches for hours in front of his photographers and then for like four or five hours, he would study his facial expressions on these pictures. And before too long, he began using very animated language anytime that, that he would address people. And how people all describe him as a speaker is, is nothing less than this. He was mesmeric to listen to. I listened to one, one of, his, of um, his speeches the other day, and, and as a speaker, I mean, I was drooling at the kind of, of orator he was, but, but what was he actually saying to people? I mean, people would actually listen to him speak and completely forget that, that, that they were listening to a public speech. They thought that they were watching a theatrical performance, and they all got swept away by that. See, this is how Adolf Hitler convinced an entire nation of people That we need to conquer 12 other countries. We need to to, um, kill millions and millions of people. We need to to go forth with with, um, my, my initiative of trying to exterminate an entire ethnicity. He did this by getting into their minds. And through that form of hypnosis where he just got so carried away in that emotional vortex that... It didn't matter what he was saying to the people. It was accepted as truth. Roman Catholicism has ushered more than 15 billion people into eternity. Joseph Smith and the Mormon faith has more than 15 million people in their clutches this morning. Charles Russell and his Jehovah Witness movement have 8 million people knocking on every single door in this country. Even an otherwise good messenger um, um, as Billy Graham. I I mean, even Billy Graham had convinced hundreds of millions of people that if you want to be saved, all you got to do is just recite a sinner's prayer. You don't have to be baptized. And I mean, you just add all of this together, and what we have is that all of these people and so many more are leading a spiritual holocaust. And it's just so terrifying what the evil one has come up with where where they can still go to church. They can still say God is good and and Christ Jesus is good, but if I remove one little detail out of the equation, I can still have them exactly where I want them. That is what the bad news is, and it's catastrophic. And here's what the good news is for us as we close this morning. What the good news is, is what Jesus is saying to us is that we can actually know who is telling the truth. Even in this age of religious confusion and religious chaos, we can know exactly who is speaking the truth and who isn't. Here is how we can do this. First, John chapter 4 and verse 1, what we find John saying is this, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But rather, test the spirits. See if whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And I would say that the best way that I've ever heard this explained to us is this. Is there anybody here who has a 100 bill? How about a 50? How about a 20? Anything? Yes. Can I borrow it for a moment? All you did. <laughs> From Christine. <laughs> oh. Well, if we're at a store, thank you very much. Now, if we're at a store, I'm just going to pretend as if this actually were a $100 bill, okay? If we hand that to a cashier, what is that cashier going to do every single time? This right here. They're going to look and to check it in the light. And if it is a counterfeit bill, it will be exposed in the light, But when they hold it up to the light, it is verified, usually, as a real bill, okay? Just kidding. And that's exactly what John is saying here, is it doesn't matter if I'm standing up there, if it's Walter, if it's George, if it's Jerry, if it's anybody on television or on the radio, hold it up to the light, be just like Bereans who we read about in the book of Acts, who, who would hear something, who would hear a teaching, but then would every single time go to the scriptures, they themselves, just to see if what they had been taught actually came from the word of God. See, this is what we have to do. Really, we need to ask ourselves, who, who is this message glorifying? Is it glorifying Jesus Christ as Lord? Or is it glorifying me? Or whoever the speaker might be. Ask ourselves, what is the purpose of this message? Is it for others to come to a knowledge of the truth and to brag about Jesus? Or is it to amass fame and popularity and prosperity? Lastly, what we need to ask ourselves is, what is is the, the absolute treasure of this message? Is it the things which are above or the things which are below? Is it all about God's Spirit in us? Or is it all about the flesh? Brothers and sisters, let us, as it says here, do not believe everything that we hear, but rather test the Spirit to see if they're from God. Let us, as, as we also read in Scripture, as of first importance, proclaim Jesus' Gospel. And that is because everything else are Quakers living in this space red moons in the sky, and until we begin doing this, we will be children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of darkness. So beware of false prophets, Jesus says, by their deeds you will know.